Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. So people say that money can't buy happiness. I'm not sure that that is entirely true. You see, that's what's tricky about money. Money can buy us nice things. Money can afford us experiences that are fun for a while. But maybe it's the happiness that's overrated. Maybe money can, in a way, buy us happiness, but what it can't buy us is godliness with contentment. What it cannot buy us is a deep and abiding joy and peace and trust and steadiness through the ups and downs of life. Money cannot buy us those things. It cannot buy us control. It may give us the feeling of control, but it's an illusion. Money is tricky, isn't it? Now, here's the thing about money. It's just like we've been talking about in this series. There's, there's a good desire, there's a good gift there, and money itself is not evil. It's not evil to have money. In fact, it is not inherently evil to have a lot of money. Because after all, if it were, God would be the greatest offender. Because he controls everything. God is incredibly rich by definition. So that's what's tricky about money. Great wealth can be used for great evil, and great wealth can be used for great good. There's nothing that can wrap itself around and attach itself to our hearts, quite like our money and our possessions. So Paul Tripp writes in his book, Redeeming Money, he says, you and I will never use money the way it was meant to be, We will never break disastrous money habits if we're not living in light of the fact that life is not about us. The world wasn't created to be a vehicle for realizing our personal definition of happiness. Happiness is overrated. What's ultimately at stake here with our money is our worship. It's our worship. Money itself, in a way, is neutral. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. But let's make no mistake, our perspective and our use of money is never neutral. We're worshiping our way through our lives. We're not just worshiping here in this room. And we know that. We get that. But we need to be reminded that every day, every hour, every minute, we are worshiping creatures, worshiping our way through our lives. And therefore, we worship something with our money every transaction. We're worshiping our way through our bank accounts, which reveal the objects of our worship in a very unique way. So today we're continuing in this good but challenging series on the seven deadly sins. Today we're going to talk about greed. So what is greed? Greed is an excessive desire for money and possessions. I could really say and or because the thing about it is you can be greedy and you can have a lot of money but not a lot of possessions 
or a lot of nice things or expensive things. You just like to hoard money away. You like the feeling. You just like knowing that you have it there. And some people don't have a lot of extra money in their bank account, but they have lots of possessions. They like to spend all that they have and acquire nice things. You see, there's lots of different ways that we can have an unhealthy relationship and attachment to and use of our money. Greed, again, is a disordered love. It's deceptive. It's tricky. It's destructive. And it's ultimately unsatisfying. It expresses itself in caring too much about our things and possessions, being too attached, being overly focused on them, living life with our fists clutched tightly around our things rather than living with an open hand the way that God created us. Greed affects all different kinds of people. You can be rich and greedy or not greedy. You can be poor and greedy or not greedy. You can be anywhere along the spectrum. You can be young or you can be old. But the thing is, we, we have this profile of a greedy person. We think greedy people are like Scrooge McDuck, right? From DuckTales in the early 80s. We think that greedy people are overpaid CEOs. They're rich tele-evangelists. It's the shark on Shark Tank. It's pro athletes. It's movie stars. It's celebrities. It's those people I see on TV with the 60-foot yachts. Those are the greedy people. But here's the truth. You want to know the typical profile of a greedy person? Just pull out your phone and open up your camera app and push that little button that looks like that. And you know what happens. It's you. It's me. It's all of us. Greed, money, possessions are powerful. They can be used for great good. But if we're honest, we love money a little too much. Or maybe a lot too much. We love our possessions. And again, they're not evil. We can use those gifts. But we love them too much. We think that more is better. This is how we're indoctrinated as a society. This is the human condition. More is better, right? Isn't it? And how much more do we need? We want just a little bit more. We think it will make us happier and more secure. We'll be a better version of ourselves if we could just get more. But is it always better? John Rockefeller probably one of the richest people to live on planet Earth so far when adjusted for inflation. He was once asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? How much would be enough? And his answer, just a little bit more. Now, of course, I think he was being facetious and the Rockefeller family has been incredibly generous, but I think there's a lot of wisdom there. It's how all of our hearts would respond. How much would be enough? That's the thing most of us, we go, I don't need a billion dollars. I don't even know how to count that high. It used to be a million dollars. That was what everybody aspired for, right? Now a million dollars is like, that's nothing, you know, apparently. I don't know. What do I know? I don't have a million dollars. I'd take a million. See, that's the thing. We all think if I could just get a little bit more, I could just make, if I could just make 10,000 more a year, if I, could, if I could just had a little bigger house, a little nicer heart, a l- car, a little bit, of, one tier up in whatever program or thing that we're trying to acquire, we think that if we could just get a little bit more, we would be happier. One step higher. But with each step, we quickly absorb that, we normalize it, we move on, and we just want to keep climbing the ladder. 
And we think someday I will get to a point where I'll be happy. It will be enough. But the pursuit is elusive. The cycle is endless. It's like running in a hamster wheel. We're generating a lot of energy and we're not getting anywhere. Because whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 5. If you love money too much, it'll never be enough. You'll never have enough. C.S. Lewis wisely wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We were created for something bigger, something more powerful, something eternal. So this morning our primary text is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In this letter, Paul provides instructions to his co-worker Timothy on how to lead a healthy church. As he closes the letter here in chapter 6, he's rounding third, headed for home. It seems that the issue of money is on his heart. It's one of his primary concerns, and Paul is rightly concerned about a group of false teachers that have infiltrated the church, and they are motivated by greed. Their teaching is bad, is not sound doctrine, and therefore it's not producing true godliness. They themselves have bad character, and they're using their platform to fuel greed. You don't have to know much about church history to know that those in influential positions have abused their power and their authority and their platform because of false motivations. From indulgences to prayer cloths, religion can be big business, can it? And there are few things that will ruin ministry and leadership, influence and relationships like the destructive power of greed. Luke chapter 12, Jesus said this, Watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's a trap. Watch out. It's not true life. So what is the antidote? What is the anti-venom serum for our naturally greedy hearts? I think the foundation is contentment. It's contentment. Verse 7, we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You see, greed says, I don't have enough. You don't have enough. You need to get more, just a little bit more. You deserve more. You will be happier if you have more. But contentment says, no, I have enough. I have enough. I I don't need more. God has been merciful And I think in a way, contentment is a kind of a stepping stone. It's a middle place between two realities. On the one end, we have greed. But on the other end, what do we want to become? We want to become generous people. Because we serve a God who is generous. And we are like God. We reflect His image when we are generosity-filled people. This is one of our values as a church. But the thing is, there's there's an in-between step. Because you're never going to be a truly generous person if you don't learn to be content. If you don't think you have enough, then why in the world would you give more away? You have to learn to be content, and that will mature, and that will blossom into generosity. But I think contentment is that missing step. At some point, you have to say, I have enough. And in fact, 
that then matures into, you know what? I have more than enough. I have way more than enough. And then you go, you know what? What should I do with that way more enough? I should give it away because it's fun to give things away. It's fun to be generous because we serve a God who is the most generous. From the beginning of the Bible to the very end, every page of Scripture tells the story that God is generous. He loves giving away. But you have to learn contentment. That's the foundation. So how do we grow in genuine biblical contentment? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, there's a verse of the Bible that's often taken out of context, but is very well known. And leading up to that, Paul says this. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Do you notice that language? Learned. How do you become a content person? You have to learn it. It takes time. How did Paul learn it? Paul learned it through the ups and downs of life. He learned it through challenges and struggles. He said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Contentment is learned in Christ-centered living. Not in self-sufficiency, in Christ-sufficiency. When I recognize that he is all I need, I can endure, I can do all of these things. I can be content in any situation. So what does Paul tell us in 1 Timothy 6 about contentment? First, he says contentment requires a recalibrated heart. Recalibrated. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. One of my former pastors used to say, you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. That's a weird image, right? You can't take it with you. Better yet, Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A key component to learning contentment is having an eternal perspective. Reminding ourselves that though God gives us good gifts and we ought to steward them, we ought to take care of them, we ought to use them and share them open-handedly, but we must always remember that our things, that our material possessions are exactly that. They are temporary. They are physical things. I don't want to ruin your day, but your house where you live Maybe real nice. Enjoy that good gift. But you know what? You need to have perspective and know that one day the house is going to get bulldozed and something else is going to get built on top of it. And again, that's not to say that, that, you know, this is to say, well, this stuff doesn't matter. No, it does matter. We want to steward those things well, but we want to have perspective. What is permanent and what is temporary? Your car. One day it's going to end up in a junkyard. It's not going to be worth anything. That's just reality. Use the gift, steward it well, take care of it, get as many miles out of it as you can. But it's, it's just a thing. And our things, again, we, we, we care about them so much, we think about them, we spend so much time and effort, and we fuss over these things that in light of eternity, look, they're just, they're temporary. We just need to have that perspective. We need to have an eternal perspective in order to be content. Contentment requires a discerning heart. For if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. We need to learn to discern between needs and wants. 
Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have any of your wants. You can. God has given us incredible freedom. God has blessed us. But you need to always understand the difference between a need and a want. So as it comes to contentment, there are things that are wants that become needs for us because our heart loves them too much. And we get mixed up because we think we must have those things and when they're taken away from us, we are destroyed. No, you need to differentiate between needs and wants. And to know that God will provide those needs collectively through the body of Christ. It doesn't mean there's not breakdowns in that because it is. We're human, right? But God has promised that he will provide. But we get our hearts set on things that we want. They're truly needs. Now, the Bible isn't encouraging destitution here. Poverty has its own problems and temptations. And and if you're in a situation or you know anyone who is in a situation where their basic needs are not met right now, they're going to have trouble paying their heating bill this year, or you are, you don't have enough food to eat, please let the church help. That's what we're here for. We're here for one another. We have an incredible ministry called Kirk Assist that is money that is set aside to do just that. So I, I just pause in the middle of a sermon on greed to say that, that any of you or your relatives or close friends or your neighbor may at any point in time get in a situation where you don't have those basic needs. And God's provision for you in that or your friend could be the church and we would love to do that. We need a discerning heart to recognize the difference between wants and needs. We need a discerning heart to see the trap. It says, verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Again here, the problem isn't money. It doesn't say if you are rich. It says those who want to get rich. That's the difference. Now, you may already be rich, and your struggle may be that you want to get more rich or richer. I don't know what's the proper grammar there, but, you know, you see my point. Those who want to get rich, it's that desire. People get rich for lots of different reasons. Sometimes people get rich because they're cheaters and they're liars and they do it the wrong way. Other people get rich because God has given them a brilliant mind and they're doing right business and it is, it's flourishing. And that's a great blessing. But you have to steward that, right? The more you have, the more responsibility that you have. It says those who want to get rich. It's that desire and then the the decisions and the compromises and the way that you're willing to invest your energy in pursuing that money. The problem is our hearts. Our hearts were made with the capacity to love. And if we love money, it will become our master. We will become enslaved to it. And it's like a trap. It's like that mousetrap I talked about a few weeks ago. If you're not happy with your slice of cheese, you're going to go for another piece of cheese and you're going to get smacked. It's not pretty. It's a trap. Greed is a trap. We think it will make us happy to have more and more and more and more, but it is a trap. It says they'll be consumed and trapped by their desire for more, which will ultimately drown and destroy them. That's the image in verse 9. 